With me in your Bibles to the second chapter of Ephesians. Our particular focus this morning is in verse 10 of chapter 2, but we will read all of verses 1 through 10, as has been our sort of a, a, a little tradition here since we started with verse 1. We've read the whole passage. That begins on page 1159 in the navy blue Bibles in your pew, and it concludes on page 1160. Hear now the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord, and so again we say, thanks be to God. This is, in my opinion, the most underquoted part of chapter 2, 1 through 10. As familiar as I think this section is to us, I think this last bit is maybe the most underquoted, right? We all know 8 and 9, perhaps you memorized it, um, to, to speak of what God has done for us by grace and that we've been saved by grace and have nothing to boast about. I think we should be honest about something. And I'll add a qualify here that's not in my notes, but this is a gut feeling that I have, not something I've, I'm like ready to back up by research. But my gut feeling is that uh, a large portion of Protestantism has sometimes struggled with the conversation about good works since, well, since Martin Luther. We know that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. We know that God is the one who raises the spiritually dead to spiritual life. We know that God is the one who brings us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We also know that James said that faith without works is dead. This caused Luther himself to struggle quite a lot. He wrestled mightily with this tension that he saw between James and Paul. And while I do think, in my opinion, the, the reformers who came after Brother Martin were able to navigate that tension and difficulty a bit better, the fact that it troubled him should encourage us that the same thing might occasionally trouble us. The way we normally cut this tension is to say salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, but true faith is never actually alone. It always is accompanied by good works. And that is true, so long as we walk it all the way out to the end. And I would say, here, here's walking it all the way out to the end. And if true faith is never alone, it means that on the last day, faith that is alone with no fruit to demonstrate its reality is not true faith. The fact that those words maybe give a few of us some pause is proof that sometimes we need a bit more work here. So this morning's passage, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, has some of the most beautiful words ever written to bring a joyful 
and peaceful resolution to this tension that we often observe, I think, in the way that we talk and think. So I want to show you at least three things from this verse this morning. First, that God means for us to work. Second, that our work is God's work from start to finish. And third, there is work to do. So first, God means for us to work. Look at verse 10 with me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This verse begins, of course, you'll remember, at the conclusion of 8 and 9, if you need a reminder. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result, so that no one may boast. Not as a result of works, excuse me. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For is the first word in our verse. For we are his workmanship. Meaning, this is... This is furthering that that you shall not boast argument, okay? So it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we're his workmanship. So this is a continuation of that, so that no one may boast thinking. This is a rephrasing of what Paul has already been saying all through chapter 1 and 2, that your salvation and what God has done in you, what he's made you to be, what he's making you to be, is all his masterpiece. That's what the Greek word means, by the way, poema, workmanship, craftsmanship, masterpiece. Some point out that it's the same word from from which we get our English word poem. And that's true, but the Greek word doesn't have anything to do with poetry. But where we start here in verse 10 is, I mean, appropriately, where the last sermon ended. God has done this, right? By grace, through faith, God's the one who's done this. We've been... Created in Christ Jesus is the next thing he says. Oh, wait, I, I thought we were created, you know, in Adam, right? Father Adam, and we all descended from him. Yes, we were born from Adam, and then we were reborn in Christ. We were created from Adam and then recreated in Christ. We were bound up with the first Adam. Now we're bound together with the second Adam. And this is for good works. God has done all of this. Let me put it this way. What, what, that, what verse 10 is telling us. God has done all of this so that you and I might get to work. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. That's a purpose clause. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's where I think we struggle. Sometimes we struggle to call our works good, right? I think, just for fun, if a Reformed Presbyterian had written verse 10, he would have said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which really aren't that good if you think about it, they're mostly still trash, but I somehow do them anyway. (laughs) Now, two errors here are possible, two ditches you can fall into. One is that our works make us righteous, which, of course, we do not believe. That's wrong because our righteousness comes from outside of us, from the Lord Jesus, not from inside of us. It comes from outside of us, from Christ. The other error, the other ditch, is that our righteousness from Christ means our works just don't matter at all or that they aren't really that good. But I want to be clear. Good works have a place in the Christian life. That place is simply not that they justify you or create righteousness where before there was none. 
Your good works are good because your God delights to call them good. Not because they save you. They don't make you right before God. They don't secure your salvation. It is important we are clear here. The gospel is not that God forgives you, then gives you a sporting chance to earn the rest of it. Okay? Can you put that up, please? That's the next one. The gospel... Oh, yeah, sorry. God means for us to work. And I think the one... Yeah. The gospel is not that God forgives you and then gives you a sporting chance to earn the rest of it. You are God's workmanship, which, remember, is another way of, I would say, summarizing chapter 2 so far. You are a corpse that God touched. He woke you up from the dead in your new life, for you are alive now. You're not still dead. God himself means for you to work. You are his workmanship created for good works. That's my first point. It's the shortest point. (laughs) And they all sighed. Oh, okay. Point two is our work is God's work from start to finish. Let's read the verse again. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. How cool is that? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So where is God in this equation of of the good works in our life? The answer is he's before them and he's in them and he's ahead of them. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, okay? That's Paul's way of stating who you are, which always comes before what you must do, who you are and what you must do. Christ, our captain, has rescued us, saved us, and has said, here's your mission, right? Love God, love neighbor, spread this gospel to every nation. God has taken, so so you're you're saying, Pastor Brian, God's taken the first step, And now the rest of the steps are on me, right? No. The next step is on God, which he prepared beforehand. The second step and the third step and the fourth step he prepared beforehand. I mean, don't you love this? This is Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired genius at work here. Because he's just finished this majestic exposition of God's great plan of salvation by grace you've been saved through faith not your own doing gift of God result not a result of works, so that nobody can boast okay so what I'm getting from that is that my works don't matter no when it comes to works to good works you know I mean loving your neighbor cherishing your wife respecting your husband honoring your parents forgiving the offenses committed against you, hating your sin, blessing when people curse you, loving your enemies, fighting despair, praying for your persecutors, praying in secret, reading the scriptures, hating your own bad attitude. When it comes to all that and more, that's not what saves you. But it is what you were saved for. It's not what makes you but it is what you were made for. And yet even those works for which you were made are themselves the products and results of grace. Things that God Almighty has already prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. We can see this by looking at another passage. This one is from Philippians and is on this matter of, uh, you know, uh, sort of... uh, of faith and, and works is my favorite passage in the whole Bible. 
So Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice some things here. Are we called to obedience? Yes. Paul, without blushing, calls on the Philippian Christians. You obeyed when I was there? Keep it up. How does he describe this? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will, that is to desire, to want, and to work, that is to act, to take the action for his good pleasure. So what is sanctification? What are, what are these good works that we do in this short life that God gives us? It is us working out what God has worked in. Okay? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It is us working out what God has worked in by the very strength and willingness to will and to work that comes from him. God does all the work so that our small, little, pathetic doings make heaven rejoice. Isn't that absurd? It's like a child drawing a picture while their parent's hand is kind of over their hand, kind of guiding them. And by the end of it, it's still, you know, it's still imperfect. But the father looks at it and says, good work. So should you work? Yes, you should. You should. You, should you do good works? Yes. Should you love your neighbor and all that comes with that? Yes. Should you obey God's commands? Yes. Okay. So, pastor, is it me that does it or is it God that does it? Yes. Okay, and then and now you're thinking, okay, that's a very funny grammar joke. But what I mean is when I'm doing it, will it feel like I'm doing it or will it feel like God's doing it? And to that, I would say your mileage may vary. Okay. As God works in you and as you work that out, Christian, you will have moments of what I like to call spontaneous, effortless obedience. Those will happen. Good works that, that feel about as forced as laughing at a good joke. And it's really in those moments, I mean, it's really easy in those moments to believe that wasn't me at all, was it? God be praised, right? And if someone saw you do it and they were like, good work, you just, <laughs> thanks, I, I didn't do anything. And there will be other times where the good work that the Lord calls you to do will feel like lifting weights or it'll feel like taking a beating. Right? Remember Paul's language, I beat my body into submission. Or it'll feel like a kind of death. Here, here's why I'm giving you that distinction. One of the biggest lies ever invented by Satan is that all real Christians only experience the first kind. That's, you know, where, where the, the, the good work feels as natural and effortless as laughing at a good joke, okay? The lie of Satan is, it should always be like that. And if it feels like you're working really hard or sacrificing or that it's costing you something, then you must be doing something wrong. No, that's a lie. You are not struggling to be free. You've been made free for this struggle. But you don't get to brag about the works, whether or not they hurt, okay? 
For you are his workmanship, and on top of that, he's prepared it all beforehand. You don't even get credit for the setup. So, so then the question that comes up is, am I passive in this, right? God's the one doing all the work, and I'm just merely passive. I would say yes, if we can speak of a passivity that bleeds, a passivity that sweats, a passivity that cries. If we can speak of passivity that often involves planning ahead and, and using discernment and wise use of your resources. Sure. And at the end of all things, when we come face to face with our Lord Jesus, the books will be opened, all of our sins will be classified as forgiven, and all of our good works will prove that God loves to show off and encourages children through their sanctification. And when our king looks at us and says, well done, our response will likely be, I was about to say the same thing to you. Because it's all his work. The start, the middle, the end. And so there are, there are two ways that I think would be helpful to us to relieve the, the apparent contradiction between you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Grace, Paul, and Mr. Works, James, okay? Uh, and, and that is this, just a kind of thing to hold on to in your mind. Whatever Paul, whenever Paul uses the word fruit, James likes to use the word works. If you keep that in view, it, it resolves a lot of trouble, okay? We're given it by God to do, uh, oh, sorry, uh, uh, you know, when, when James says that faith without works is dead, he's saying living faith bears fruit, Okay, that's the first thing you got to understand. Second thing is to understand that all the good work you're given to do in this life is good that you are, wait for it, given to do. Given by God. You are a receiver, not a creator. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in. And so how do we... So then how do we get it that, you know, how do we talk about salvation and works? So let me offer this to you. Just in, I put it into one sentence. Salvation is all of God and demands all of me. Okay? Think about it like that. Salvation is all of God, right? not as a result of works so that no one can boast, and demands all of me. It's called to die. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild the house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing, and you're not surprised. But then, but, but presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. He is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. All right? So the last point of the sermon, I said God means for us to work. Our work is God's work. Finally, there is work to do. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them, that we should go do the work. 
He's risen up out of the grave. He's put a path before us. He's prepared beforehand everything on that path for our good and his glory. And he's going to give us breath and strength and hope for every last step. He did not raise you up out of the grave with broken legs. He means for you to walk. So let's start walking. Let's get to work. You see, I think... Part of the way we navigate this together, I mean, as Protestants, we learned a hard lesson the hardest way, and that is that the most beautiful of gospel truths, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, can get obscured by even the smartest of people. That's what one thing, at least, the Reformation taught us. And sometimes we are so sensitive to that danger, right, we, uh, the danger of salvation by works, that we are afraid to talk about works at all. But what Ephesians 2.10 tells us is that God has put the work before us. He's prepared that work in front of us and has no problem saying, son, daughter, start walking. To To which we don't say, oh, but Lord, I cannot walk until you force me to put one foot in front of the other. For I am but a broken sinner. Stop. Instead, passages like this call us to stand in the strength of the Lord's might. And say to ourselves, to our family, to our fellow saints, let's get to work. You see, we we must be solidly committed to communicating clearly that we are saved by grace through faith, not our works. But let's finish the passage. We should say, I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone. God be praised. I'm not saved by my works, but I am saved for the works that God has prepared for me to do. God has scheduled some appointments between me and good works. If you will excuse me, my master is walking and I must follow. So when it comes to these, uh, uh, to, to the more perplexing questions of theology, say, we might not have all the answers, but what we do have is responsibilities. We might not have all the details, but we do have our orders. And there are two ways of hearing this. One is that you hear me say, Your problem, Christian, is that you haven't done enough to make your father happy. So you better work harder if you ever hope to. That is damnable heresy. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. The good news of the gospel is not a call to works. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified for your sins risen for your justification, believe that today, rest in his promises. That is the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not a call to works. But in light of the gospel, the call to good works is a surprising secondary piece of good news. Here's why. We're often tempted to think of the call to good works as a checklist of duties that we have to fulfill in the hope that maybe someday we'll make our Father smile. Rather, the call to good works is more like a smiling commander addressing his soldiers saying, I have a plan. Who's ready to march with me? Everything I put in your path will be part of my undefeatable strategy for victory. Every time you get tired, I'm going to pick you up. Every time you feel weak, it's because I'm teaching you real strength. Every time you're tempted to despair, it's because I'm training you in hope. I have prepared it all beforehand. I have trained and readied you for this. You are my workmanship, and we're going to win. Let's charge the gate. 
What part of that is bad news? You are not saved by your works, but saved people are called to work with a glad zeal that makes hell nervous. Not with a pride that says, now that we are saved, we are so awesome, watch us display how awesome we are. <laughs> that sort of thinking has infected the church in some places, and God has responded, usually first by exposing hidden sin, and second by removing the lampstand. But Jesus delights to build congregations where we can say, look at how awesome Jesus is. Where am I looking? Look at how awesome Jesus is. Okay, where, where, where am I looking? At us. So you can see his ridiculous kindness to sinners on display. That's verse 7, right? He put on display the immeasurable riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It is a magnificent charge. It is a magnificent calling. It should cause us to fear and tremble before the one who calls us. Work out with fear and trembling. Are we passive in it? Yes, if you can speak of a passivity that sweats and weeps and bleeds. And so how is it that our commander has called us to march forward? Lord, you put difficult people around me that are really hard to love. They, they have the total opposite personality from me. And Jesus says, I know. This is how we win. Lord, my kid is far away from you. I don't see how that prodigal is going to get home. And praying for them has gotten really hard. Jesus says, I know. It's how we win. Lord, you gave me a really harsh husband. Lord, you gave me a really grumpy wife. I feel stretched out and broken up. And Jesus says, I know. This is how we win. Lord, you gave me a hard affliction. You gave me sickness. I'm grieving terrible loss. And Jesus says, I know. This is how we win. Lord, you brought cancer in my 20s. I'm supposed to trust you with that? Jesus says, yes. This is how we win. Lord, I'm being persecuted, and you still want me to love my persecutors and pray for them. That feels impossible. And Jesus says, I know. This is how we win. Lord, I don't know if you've noticed, but hatred for your church and your people seems to be growing. They're going to call our gospel a hate crime. They're going to put us in jail. Jesus says, I know. That's how we win. Marching on, marching on, on our king's highway, keeping step in step with Christ, our captain all the way. We shall win, we shall win, yes, we shall surely win the day. Marching on to victory in King Jesus' name. Amen.